welcome you to Bible study today. Those who are here with us and those listening on KFUO. And today we will be concluding our study of Ephesians. So we are in chapter 6, verse 5. Chapter 6, verse 5. And this is actually connected to the section we talked about last week. Um, the same, same emphasis. Uh, servants, obey or heed your earthly masters with fear and trembling, with a sincere heart, as you would Christ. The emphasis... Well, first of all, we need to review the whole concept of servanthood. I don't want you to think about the example of our own country and slavery in uh, the past. That slavery in this country was entirely different than what we're talking about here. What we're talking about here had nothing to do with race, had nothing to do with force or coercion. Slavery was simply a class of people. There were free and there were slaves. The slaves were not economically deprived, educationally deprived. You could be a slave in the Roman Empire and be a doctor or a lawyer. But it was simply the class difference. Slaves were usually treated very well, especially if they were good because those in authority over them wanted to keep them and wanted them to be happy. So it's nothing like what we think of when we think of the slavery that happened in America. Obey your earthly masters with in Hasir's heart as you would Christ. In other words, he's telling them don't obey your masters because of them. Obey your master because you are serving Christ. You are serving Christ. In verse 6, not by the way of eye service as people pleasers. Uh, the Greek word there means, would imply, don't just serve your masters while you're being watched. Work hard all the time. Don't just serve when somebody's standing over you to see what you're doing. Be a good servant all the time. As if you're serving Christ. And not as people pleasers. Because you're not serving the people, you're serving Christ. 
That's the emphasis. Doing the will of God from the heart. In other words, this is not to be lip service. This is to be from the heart. Honest, true service. Rendering service with a good will as to the Lord and not to man. Again, the emphasis is they're not serving their earthly masters by fulfilling their calling, whatever it is, they are serving Christ. They are serving the Lord. Knowing that whatever good anyone does, this he will receive back from the Lord, whether he is a bondservant or is free. This is not teaching work righteousness. This is teaching that God is going to bless you for living according to his word. And that begins with faith in Jesus Christ. Masters do the same to them. And stop your threatening, knowing that he who is both their master and yours in heaven, and that there is no partiality with him. Okay, masters are to act like husbands, parents, master. What is the basis of that? When Christ is the head of all, what is his way of treating people with love and care? And so husbands should do the same with their wives, and parents should do the same with their children, and masters should do the same with their servants. The key word is love as the motivation. And notice how there is the reminder that the Lord is over both the masters and the servants, the parents and the children, the husbands and the wives, and that there is no partiality with him. So this kind of sums up the whole section on marriage, then fathers, parents, and now masters. It's what we call a table of duties. And it's uh, to describe everyday life for the Christian. And we see this in many of Paul's letters, many of Paul's letters. All right, let's go on to the main thing we're going to talk about today. And we've all heard of this passage on the whole armor of God. Um, finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. Three words used there for strength and might so that the emphasis from the outset here is that the strength does not lie with you. 
it lies with God. Notice how it says, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. You are not going to be able to do this on your own. It's not something you just decide to do. I'm going to be strong against temptation. Well, you're in trouble because you're trusting in yourself. So the opening sentence is directing us back to God, that this is not something we're going to be able to do on our own. Now, put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. Now, notice what you're supposed to do. You're supposed to stand. That's it. You're supposed to last. You're not supposed to fail or fall, just stand. Now, this goes back all the way into the Old Testament at the parting of the Red Sea. And in chapter 14 of Exodus, you will read the words, Stand still and see the salvation of God. So when they got to the edge of the sea, they all thought they were going to have to fight the Egyptians. Moses told the people, you do nothing. Watch God do it for you. And then they're against the sea, and the Egyptians are behind. We talked about this for years, and God says, go forward. In other words, march into the sea. Okay. But they were just supposed to stand. Stand in the strength of God because you can't fight. You are not capable of fighting. God has to fight for you. So that's the emphasis on the word stand. Okay? Against the schemes of the devil. Now, we could talk about that all day because there are constantly things that are tempting us that sound so good, and these schemes are out to confuse us so that we go against God's Word. Satan can use anything when it comes to his scheming. 
he can use other people around you. Okay. Let's call it peer pressure. He can use things happening in your life. He can use any fear to try to get you to doubt God. He can use the government. He can use any earthly thing as a way to tempt us, to scheme against us, to get us to sin. Luther would call it that we would not be led into sin, despair, and other great shame and vice. Okay? So it's all the scheming of the devil. And, and we're going to talk about that some more in a minute. It's the scheming of the devil that is the problem. It's not the people around you. They're being used. It's not the government. It's being used. Satan is using these things to get to us. And he tells us that in the next verse. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over the present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. In other words, don't blame other people. When we blame other people, when we blame institutions, when we blame all that, we're not seeing the real enemy. The real enemy is always Satan. Okay? The real enemy is always Satan. That's the bottom line. Because everybody else is simply being you. You. So our battle is not against, notice it says, flesh and blood. Now, noticely, it says that all these powers are in the heavenly places. We are of such a mindset that when we think of the universe, we think of only three areas, heaven, earth, and hell. Okay? The scriptures teach that there are actually levels of heaven. Okay? Levels of heaven. And that the spiritual forces of evil can inhabit those heavenly places, not where God is. He threw them out of there. But there are other realms that we don't understand or know about. They're referred to as heavenly places because they are not identifiable to us, 
but they exist. Okay? They exist. So Satan is doing his work. He has been loosed. Okay? When Christ ascended into heaven, Satan was thrown out of heaven. And Revelation specifically says, Woe to the earth, because he's come down to you. So he is working in our midst to deceive us so that we fall away from the faith. Every temptation is up ultimately to get us to stop believing. So don't be so narrow-minded as to think that there's such a thing as a little temptation or a little white lie. It's all meant to lead us ultimately astray. So we don't talk about a little innocent sin. Doesn't exist. Okay? Because Satan is behind it all. Satan is behind it all to deceive us. All right. Therefore, take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day and having done all, to stand firm. In other words, you're going, God's going to give you this armor. And the verb tense there, take up, actually can be translated, stand there and let God put it on you. Stand there and let God put it on you. Because it's a gift. Because you can't stand yourself. You can't stand. And the evil day is, of course, a description of every day up until the time Christ returns. So, stand therefore, having fastened on the belt of truth. Now, what we're going to see is this description here of the armor. It is patterned after the Roman legion's armor. Okay? The Roman legion's armor. The belt was specifically so that they could pull their tunic higher so they could run. Okay? So they could run. But notice... It's not just called a belt. It's called the belt of truth. And what we're going to see here is this armor is Christ. The belt of truth. I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but by So, in other words, to stand against the schemes of the devil, to stand firm, 
you have to know Jesus Christ. That he is the truth. Okay? And God gives you that. Next is, second part, the breastplate of righteousness. In Romans, God tells us, Christ, our righteousness, that's what he's called, our righteousness. He is righteousness. He is perfection. He is perfectly right with God. To put on the breastplate of righteousness means to cover yourself with the righteousness of Christ that he earned for you at Calvary and gave to you. Okay? We should begin to see the pattern here that the armor is Christ. Okay? The armor is Christ. And as shoes for your feet, having put on the readiness given by the gospel of peace. So the gospel brings peace between God and us and between us and others. It's called the readiness because a Roman soldier could not run on rocky roads without shoes. It was essential to have some kind of footwear. Okay? And so they did. It doesn't mean run away. I would say just the opposite. Run to with the gospel. Run toward others with the gospel of peace. Okay? Run to them. But all, all the time, remember, your task is to stand. In all circumstances, take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish all the flaming darts of the evil one. What are the flaming darts of the evil one? The flaming darts of the evil one is when you're sitting in church trying to listen and you have the nastiest thought you've ever had in your life. And you say, how in the world can I think like that in church? You've just been shocked with the flaming dart of Satan. Another place where the flaming darts of Satan run rampant. In the family car on the way home from church is when the biggest fights start. Okay? Flaming darts of the evil one. Now, there's something very interesting about these shields. In the Roman legions, of course, many times, they would fire flaming arrows at the oncoming troops. And these shields, the shield that's being referred to here is a long shield, they would use the shield to start, stop the flaming darts. Sometimes those shields were made of wood. 
So here's an interesting fact. The Roman legions, before getting in, going into battle many times, would soak their wooden shields in water all night. So when the arrows were shot, they would go out. Now, I could preach on that for two days because it's automatically a reference to baptism. That you've been baptized. And baptism will put out flaming darts of the So, uh, very, very big imagery there to put out the flaming darts of the evil one and take the helmet of salvation. The helmet of salvation, of course, Christ is our salvation, and the helmet covers the head. It covers your thinking, okay? Your thoughts. And that is part of standing against Satan's evil schemes. And the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. The Spirit of Gladius, which is the symbol always for St. Paul. And that's why it's on lots of the old logos about St. Paul's Lutheran school. The sword of the Spirit. The Word of God is ultimately the only way to stand against Satan's temptation. When Jesus himself was being tempted by Satan in the wilderness, he was indeed using the Word of God to defeat Satan. Because every time Satan would bring a temptation. There were three of them. God, Jesus would quote the word of God. Okay. Every time. So the word of God is critical. If you don't know the word of God, you've got a problem. Okay. I once heard a pastor say that what you ought to do is you need to know those things that tempt you the most and memorize as many Bible passages as you can about that. So that when those temptations come, you can recall those Bible passages. Okay? Those Bible. So the Word of God. Now... This is, that's the armor of God. But when you look at it closely, you realize you're being clothed with Jesus Christ. His truth, his righteousness, his gospel, your faith is in him, your salvation is in him, and the word of God is in him. You are being clothed with Christ. It brings us back to all the passages in Ephesians and Colossians that talk about put on the new person. 
put on Christ. Galatians, anyone who's baptized into Christ, he has put on Christ. This is a more specific way of God talking about us being clothed with Christ. But notice the emphasis, it's always God is clothing us. These things are not within our power or strength. They come from God. Now notice the passage continues. Praying at all times in the Spirit with all prayer and supplication. It has been debated for years if prayer is a part of the armor. It's been studied exegetically. It's been studied dramatically. It's been studied in context. And there are no conclusions. Many say it sure makes sense that it's a part of it, but prayer is not something God does. It's something you do. And what we've talked about with the armor is something God does for you. Prayer is your response. So there is a case that it's not a part of the armor of God because it's what you're doing. But I want to stress this. The words praying, prayer, and supplication, when they're used like that together, usually imply worship. Worship. In other words... Prayers and supplications in worship, in the divine service. All right? And then he's going, Paul's going to talk about what to pray for. First of all, to that end, keep alert with all perseverance, making supplication for all the saints. So in other words, this is a constant process of praying. Okay? And we see that in our own worship life. How many times did we pray that God would bless the building of the new school? How many times did we pray that God would lead us to a new pastor, new principal? It is persistent perseverance in prayer, okay? And it says here, for all the saints. So in other words, Paul wants them praying, not just for themselves, but for all the saints. In other words, for the whole church. This is the call to prayer among the fellowship of all believers in all places. Okay? To call to fellowship. All places, 
all believers. And also for me, that words may be given to me and opening my mouth wholly to proclaim the mystery of the gospel. In other words, he wants the church in Ephesus to pray for him so that he can continue to proclaim the gospel. And notice in the opening of my mouth, the implication is he's not doing the opening. God is. God is doing the opening so that he can proclaim the mystery of the gospel. And we've talked about that. The mystery of the gospel is that the Gentiles are included. The Gentiles are included. So they're to pray for all the saints. They're to pray for Paul. And then he says, for which I am an ambassador in chains. Paul is in prison when he writes this letter. Paul is in prison when he writes this letter, probably in Rome. He is in prison in Rome. That's where he wrote the letter to the Colossians, which we studied earlier. Okay. So he is in chain that I may that I may declare it boldly as I ought to speak. In other words. I have to do this. I have to do this. This is my calling. This is what God wants me to do. So pray for me. So he's telling the church to pray for the other saints and to pray for him. Okay? And as I say, there are strong implications here that these are prayers in worship. So he goes on, final greetings, so that you may know how I am and what I am doing, Tychicus, the beloved brother and faithful minister in the Lord, will tell you everything. This man is also referred to in the book of Colossians. We believe that Paul wrote Ephesians and Colossians in prison in Rome. And Tychicus is the man that delivered both letters to their destinations in Asia Minor, which is what we know as Turkey today. That he was the messenger that brought Paul's letters to them. He's called a faithful brother, okay? Faithful brother. Um, a faithful minister in the Lord. And he is going to come to them and not only deliver these letters, but also make sure that he will fill them in on what's going on with the Apostle Paul. And he will find out from them what's going on so he can take the message back to Apostle Paul. You've got to remember there were no cell phones 
you walked or you got on a sailboat. It probably took weeks for Tychicus to make this journey and then go back. But he did. Okay. Now, in the letter to the Colossians, it's mentioned that they also should read and have read the letter to the Laodiceans. We're not exactly sure what that was. Some simply believes it's a reference to the letter to the Ephesians. But when you get to the book of Revelation and he's delivering messages to the churches, there's a church both of Laodicea and Ephesus. So we're not sure just what that references to. But it doesn't make any difference. Okay? Doesn't make any difference. I have sent him to you for this very purpose that you may know how we are and that he may encourage your hearts. Paul was always infinitely concerned about what had happened to the places where he had preached the gospel and left believers there. He always wanted to know about them and he's always talking about praying for them. So um, he wants to know what's going on. And Antichicus is the is the link here. Uh, almost no, you know, in some in Romans there's a long list of uh, people he sends greetings to and greetings from here there's there's none of that peace be to the brothers the concept of peace is always rooted in the gospel there is no peace with god and there is no peace with one another except for the gospel of jesus christ and love with faith Notice he links the two from God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Grace be with all who love our Lord Jesus Christ with love incorruptible. And the letter ends. The letter. Um. There are great correlations between the letters to the Ephesians and to the Colossians. In fact, you can make a chart, and for just about every passage in one, there's a parallel passage in the other. They talk about the same things. Now, there's some unique material in Colossians in the first chapter because it was a different problem. But a lot of the things that are talked about are parallel. They're said in both letters. And that's why it is, it's easy to see why Paul wrote both. And that some of the things that concerned him about both churches are mentioned 
side by side uh, in in that in the two letters, very close. In fact, I think I mentioned this at the seminary. You don't take a course in Ephesians or Colossians. You take a course called Ephesians Colossians because when you study one, you're studying both. They're very closely related. Okay. Questions, comments? Yes, they. Well, uh, you know, so many people, Steve says you've interpreted this, and now we realize that the armor is Jesus Christ. So many people have tried to interpret the armor of God in a way that it's you doing the action. You have to take this up. If you don't take this up, and you fall into temptation, it's your fault. That is not truth. It is Jesus Christ. Because when you think about it, if it's not for the victory of Christ, we don't have a victory. We don't have a victory. God, just like he did at Exodus, he has to fight for us. We are too weak to fight on our own. Can't happen. So, in any interpretation that you're doing, ask yourself the question, is what I'm reading giving the glory to God or to me? If it's giving the glory to you, read something else. Because I can't tell you how many times I've written a lot of sermons. And, you know, I'd get to Tuesday and the sermon would be pretty much done, and I'd say, this stinks. And inevitably, what I would discover time and time again when I reread that sermon was, it gave too much credit to us. The gospel didn't come through loud and clear enough. That was the problem. So that's always the problem, that God doesn't get all. You can't give God too much glory. You can't do it. You can't outglory God. You just have to tell him over. You just have to tell yourself over and over and over again that God has done this for me. I did not do this. God has done this for me. Yes. Yes. Verb tense. Let God put it on you. Let God put it on you.
Yeah, to think through the armor of God, and basically, you're focused on Christ. And that's the best place to be when you're facing evil and temptation. But you you ask about, you know, is there help? English is a barbaric language. It's a barbaric language. Um, imprecise. Imprecise. Uh, and that's why Luther always said, and there's been many people, and they got good hearts, but they say, why do pastors have to spend their time learning Greek? This is the reason. And Martin Luther said, if we lose the study of Greek and Hebrew, we will lose the gospel. So that is why pastor learned Greek, Hebrew, because you can get meaning. You can look at these things when they seem difficult, and usually the Greek will help you figure them out. Okay? Yes, Ruth. It was not. Sometimes they work. Uh, she says uh, the servants in the Roman Empire were many times those that had been captured and brought back. That is the case. But in, in most of the cases, they were not treated like we treated slaves in this country. Okay. They were seen for their benefits to society. Yeah, Joe. Luke, I don't know. I don't know. He was a physician, and there are records of physicians being servants and slaves. Okay. So, but it's a completely different thing than, um, than what we think of today. Yes. Yes. John chapter 1, verse 5 brings us all, all back that. Okay, so Ephesians is done. I'm teaching one more week. And uh, I, I thought it'd be fun. What I'm going to teach next week is Pastor Smith's favorite Bible stories. Okay? Pastor Smith's favorite Bible stories. So that'll be next week. And then we'll uh, go forward from there. Okay, the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you all. Amen.